0: We should have this debate about gain of function -function function research, research, which makes no sense. The whole system's so fucked up, man. Mm. Do you think that we passed the Turing test and that the mind is a a classical computer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I basically think that it is a classical computer and it's actually a fairly um, insignificant one at that.
0: For everyone that got pissed at me for talking to Alex Jones, hold on to your seats because this week I'm talking to America's most hated, the Pharma Bro himself, Martin Shkreli. A little disclaimer first, I don't endorse everything Shkreli's done in the past. In 2015, his company bought a drug called Daraprim, a cure for AIDS-induced toxoplasmosis. He promptly raised the price from $13.50 to over $700. Even if $13.50 was an economically inefficient price for this drug, and even if Shkreli ended up making it accessible to people who couldn't afford his hefty price tag, making money through pure rent-seeking and regulatory capture is Still whack. Turing's price gouging didn't drive any real medical R&D and it never reflected the cost of production for Daraprim, which is remarkably cheap. But this sort of behavior runs rampant in big pharma and American corporations, and it usually goes completely unnoticed. So what sets Shkreli apart? He's a troll and a provocateur. I got into it with Hillary Clinton almost 20 years ago now. This was pre putting a bounty on a strand of hair. And I would
1: not characterize it as a bounty.
0: He has no respect for the middlewit journalists that cover him. These reflexively angry, over-educated reporters thought he was an isolated actor, not realizing he was merely a symptom of a systemically fucked up healthcare apparatus in the US. But hey, isolated scapegoating can act as a pressure valve release to distract the masses from more systemic, insidious oppression. The true scandal of Turing's profiteering scheme was that it was entirely legal and mundane. He actually didn't get sent to jail for that, it was for securities fraud, later. Securities fraud is obviously also not cool, and it's something I call him out for in this interview, but I think in this case it was used as a cover for the establishment to take him out. Anyways, I had heard Shkreli was incredibly smart, and after four and a half years of prison, and what I assumed was a ton of reading and solitude, he was probably in peak intellectual shape. So I decided to have a markedly different conversation with him. In this interview, we discussed the nature of reality, whether its base layer is physics or information theory, the bioelectric field of the body, and of course, I asked him who his top five MCs of all time are. Without further ado, please enjoy this special long form interview with this week's scapegoat, Martin Schrell. <laughs> the most hated man in America.
1: No, you're putting words in my mouth. A criminal like Stalin or Trump?
0: Tie me off! Snip me!
1: <laughs> you are fake news. I don't see it as left or right. It's bullshit.
0: You know, it gathers speed, and ultimately, one victim must be killed.
1: I got attacked by all my followers. Oh, the ah!
0: Shit, man. Have you trolled people your whole life?
1: Um, I think it's sort of like. a... am actually surprised at how earnest you're being right now. Like we're, I feel like we're having like a genuine. I'm always like this. I mean, I, I think, yeah. um, and that's why I started live streaming. Is like I, I wanted to give people a window into who I really was. Yeah. Like it was fun to be this caricature. Yeah. Because like I, I would give ABC like a two-hour interview. Yeah. And I would explain drug pricing and explain how like you know this is a good idea and so yeah. forth. like Ross Peroting it and yeah. like they and they would take you out of context. They so. would take like the the one gaffe or yeah. like the one like flub or like you know uh-huh. stutter, and they just air air that and it'd uh-huh. be frustrating. But like ultimately, trolling is I think like I always like like Andy Kaufman and stuff like I that. I love like, Andy you know, Kaufman. I really
0: I really appreciate you being here this morning. It's nice to see you. Uh, tell me about uh, tell me about Taxi.
1: Uh, was would you like a tissue? Can I, would you like a tissue? Um, the performance art and like oh. the opportunity of like. There's never gonna be another time in my life I'm gonna be in front of Congress. Like, yeah. I have to make the most of this, yeah, you, know? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 you know? Like, yeah. you only, you do only And, it and if you were to pick
0: a group of people you, you like kind of don't have a ton of respect for, at least for me, it would be Congress. You, you've had some other weird kind of paraphernalia that you had to auction off.
1: Uh, like, you, you owned the, a Nazi Enigma machine? Yes, yeah, so an Enigma machine was, um, you know, one of the encodings, uh, you know, one of the tools Nazis used to encode um, uh, secret messages to, yeah. to, to, for U-boat locations and stuff like that. And uh-huh. famously, Alan Turing, who's the hero of mine. I mean, the company Turing Pharmaceuticals uh-huh. uh, cracked the Enigma code. It was actually a bunch of Polish cryptographers too, but they don't get their story told as well. Uh-huh. They don't have the better PR agents. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah. uh, so anyway, Alan uh, Turing helped do that, and Churchill ordered all these machines destroyed. Uh-huh. He didn't want any memory. To live on of, yeah because the nazis things. would would use it and the Turing cracked it correct yeah and it was like early cryptography and early computing and yeah. things like that and i think it's pretty cool um so you b- bought like the one that was left or no there are many that are left uh and there's a market for these and depending on whether it has three rotors or two rotors or whatever but you know i would just also say that you know that that machine is in safekeeping so okay. some somebody close to me owns it
0: so. what why do you like turing so much
1: I mean, now he's popular, right? But uh-huh. for a while, he was sort of like not that popular. And I mean, the guy conceptualized computers before yeah. you know anybody, obviously. And he also did great work in AI. Um, the suicide was kind of really like I was, I was fascinated with people like that, and Kirk Cobain and others. Like mm-hmm. I bought Kurt Cobain's one credit card. I don't know if you ever. Oh yeah, heard that's about that. right. Yeah. So like people like that who like had it all in some ways, yeah. And, like also like looked at the ephemeral nature of life and were like, yeah. It doesn't matter. Like we all, tragic like, ends. Well, tragic is, is one way to look at it, but t- to them, I think they're sort of looking at, like, life is like this computer program that's running. It's a good game. It's been interesting, but the game is over, right? Do and, you think Turing
0: saw life as a simulation?
1: Yeah, he wrote a poem um, that I like to say a lot, and it's uh, just three lines, and he said, uh, Turing believes machen- ma- machines can think. Turing lies with man. Therefore, machines can think. So uh, his, his syllogism uh, connects, and he basically, you know, the pun is that he lies with men, meaning he has sleeps with men because mm-hmm. uh, he's homosexual, and sort of um, the whole idea that uh, he did think machines could think, and that we were, yeah. you know, kind of in essence machines. And, uh-huh. You know, I think he was sort of had the first inklings towards those yeah. those thoughts. I mean, yeah. well, not to, I mean, people had them before too, obviously, but. At do, least putting pen to paper on it.
0: Do you think that we uh, have Turing passable AI? D- D- Demis Hasibis, uh, H- 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 I never know how to pronounce yeah. his name, the DeepMind guy, he thinks of himself as being sort of the torchbearer of Turing and classical computing. And then there's kind of a Penrose camp where Roger Penrose thinks that in the brain exists sort of some sort of quantum sensor, maybe yeah. a quantum computer. Something special, yeah. That collapses reality into like the classical thing that we see. Uh, do you think that we've passed the Turing test and that the mind is a is a classical computer?
1: Yeah, I mean I basically think that it is a classical computer and it's actually a fairly um insignificant one at that. And, you know, we tend to have an anthropocentric kind of viewpoint where, you know, anthropic viewpoint where we're we we want to you know, exalt ourselves and things mm-hmm. like that. And I think with GPT three it's so humbling to and Dolly and things like that. It's it's a really humbling sort of existence and it's gonna get more and more humbling and uh we'll probably see ourselves not too different from zoo animals at some point where, you know, we're, we're like, Oh, that's neat. Platypus. Look at them. Look how dumb that platypus is. Uh And you know, we're the platypus, you know, we're not that far. And you know, these machines are already kind of uh, amazing in many ways. And they just get more and more amazing. And it's, uh, I'm part of this uh, effect, um, uh, effective acceleration movement where like I, you're accelerationist. Yeah. And, and like, so you're just down for the AI to take over. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, why, man? I, I mean, that th- kind of jives with your half-nihilistic worldview or something. <laughs> yeah, no, like- <laughs> I mean, I, I
1: think that, like, you know, trying to stop it is one fu- completely Feudal. futile. Yeah, because there are people like me that... You think it's just... So, the? what do you think it's going
0: to be? Some sort of paperclip runaway thing? I hope but, not,
1: you know. Uh, um, I hope not. Uh, I think we can... It doesn't mean we can't tame it. Yeah. But I, I don't think we should try to, like, slow it down or stop it, or can slow yeah. it down or stop it. Like... Um, isn't there something unique about humans, though? You don't think so? No, from a biological perspective, like, if you look at these biological databases, like, yeah. you know, we're just a bunch of strings. You know, it's a bunch of, it's an operating system. Like, it, it's one I rec- input, one output. I recently read Turing's
0: essay, Mind and Machine, and he says, actually, he, he comes up with a bunch of possible reputations of the brain being a classical computer and of the Turing test. And the one that he gives the most credence to, which I find fascinating is parapsychology. He talks about ESP and he says, you yeah. know, if you have random <laughs> event generators that you can affect with your mind, you know, maybe the person who's trying to imitate the machine would have statistically like some, you know, some, some ability to like guess the random event generator like better than the machine. And then maybe there'd be an experimenter effect where the experimenter could affect the random event generator and get it up to the level of the person. And so there are all these confounding variables if there's some sort of mind over matter effect. And I, I think there is, and I'm sort of heretical in saying that in the existing For paradigm. For sure, yeah. But you, you you, don't think there is. No, no,
1: no, <laughs> you know that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I like experiments, you know? I like, yeah. I like the classic scientific perspective. It's, it works, and I think... Um, it's slowing know, down. I think that we're seeing things that we can't explain, right? And um, that that's sort of... Anytime you have that in, in moments of, like that in history where you've reached, like we were talking about uh, earlier, kind of the end of medicine, yeah. right? That we're reaching a point where, um, I had a call with one of the bigger VCs today and, and I was explaining how medicine's getting to a point where we can't really see further than 10 or 20 years out. Yep. Like everything that's been, needs to sort of be treated or cured has sort of gotten there and everything else that hasn't mm-hmm. gone there, we see, we have eyesight on. So like, what do we do next?
0: But and, that's when you get paradigm shifts, like Thomas
1: talks about, sort of like... but
0: you can get 10, 20, even hundreds of years of darkness, too. You can have, sure. Or maybe that in and of itself is a paradigm shift that has validity. You know, maybe, maybe we are swimming in angels and demons and yeah. some sort of metaphysical soup that we can't understand. Yeah,
1: or, or medieval times, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, uh, and I, I could easily see Go that. Go back to like a mystical neo-paganist. Or, or just no, no progress. Yeah, You know, just bashing your head against the wall every day, you know, and, and that's hundreds of years of like, we have nothing to do le- left to do in medicine. And, yeah. um, you know, people, that's when you see a lot of people turning to anti-aging, which, mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm sort of anti-anti-aging. Yeah. Um, I'm pro, I'd like to live forever, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pro the result of it. But I, I think that we're, we're so far away from thinking about, you know, human health uh, that way that yeah. uh, we still have Huntington's disease, we still have, you know... Uh, yeah all kinds of terrible illnesses that we need to fix. And again, we have a line of sight on them. Right. But I'd rather extend human life by doing stuff like that than, than necessarily like, you know, a guy like, again, I'm not want to pick on anybody, but like some some billionaire who wants to, like Larry Ellison, you know, has you know, been trying to live forever for, for a long time. And when you're one of the richest people in the world, I don't blame you, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. this is awesome, I, I, yeah. I don't wanna, Die? But the counter argument to that is a lot of
0: diseases are downstream of aging, and so why not Some. focus on the kind of Archimedes lever, with no, no, yeah, aging yeah, yeah. itself. It's, it's
1: not a bad idea. It's just that, you know, if you look at each tissue type, um, you're really looking at like 20 different intricate machines, and I don't think there's a great common link between all of them, because skin, for example, is uh, one of the fairly resilient, you know, kind of uh, um, tissues that just doesn't sort of die. You know, you, you get shitty older skin as it, you get older, right? But you can live... Skin isn't the the, the, the sort of gating factor sure. of, of life. Liver sort of seems to last forever. You know, regenerates the only organ that regenerates itself. Yeah. It's, it's like bulletproof, right? Yeah. Uh, now, if you drink uh, till, you know, you drink till you pass out every day for the rest of your life, it's not bulletproof. But in general, people don't die of liver disease, right? right? Um, lungs, for a lot of people, just they don't give out. Come back. You know, yeah. yeah. Heart yeah. hangs in there, you know. Right. So, like, each... Each, t- each tissue type has its own atrophying and its own stem cell niche and pool. Like yeah. the blood system is the most fascinating thing. That often goes left as we get older yeah. uh, with cancer because it's this amazing, you have this uh, bone marrow niche that keeps the master copies. Yeah. And like it, it, it has this lineage system and it's one of the most fascinating things because nothing else in the body is quite like it where there's one master cell and everything kind mm-hmm. of you know uh, uh, is a progeny of that cell. And uh, if the master cells get corrupted, yeah. you get leukemia. And, you know, each trying to like master aging is like, it doesn't make sense to me because there's no commonality between a lot of these. There's sometimes there's like fibrosis sure. and other things that slightly affect all of them, but like, they're completely different machines. Right. You know? So how do you like do it all? It's a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah.
0: What's your most trippy belief? Trippy
1: belief. Let's see. Probably like, and again, it's com- I think it's going to become a consensus. I wrote I wrote like hundreds of these on on. Uh, in prison. Yeah. Uh, during a, I wrote like this little blog. Um, I took it down, but um, I, I wish I could reference it. I think that within 50 to 100 years, the majority of Americans will believe in simulation theory as a religion, mm. that that'll be the consensus that God is, or whatever God is, is, is sort of, a, you know, we're living in a computer program, and there's no better explanation than that we're variables in a computer program and that's about it. I think that will become a religion and
0: I think UFOs will become a religion that's interesting. and then I wonder if they dovetail. And they do, they would dovetail in the form of like like a Gnostic worldview it would be like you have the Demiurge and then you have like Arcani emissaries that are sort of simulating our reality and somewhat demonic tricksters or whatever. And yeah. I, do, I do think there's this like bizarre upsurge in UFO uh, interest. And if you actually look at the way people interact with UFOs. They kind of pattern match one to one with like past conversion experiences. Like if you look at like Saint Saint Francis of Assisi's conversion, uh, you can replace Angel with alien. He has like this like radiation burn stomata thing that like feels like, you know, an alien encounter It's too encounter out there for today. me. Oh, it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> and the, I think that. But then
1: people people kind of convert in the same way. I think that like maybe a little more terrestrial is like something like another, and a, another answer to your question is something like, um, I think GPT-3 will write um, a best-selling album or a best-selling book fairly soon, yeah. um, which I think it's on, on sort of on track for, so that's not that crazy. Yeah. I think that AI will get um, human rights so of AI rights will yeah. exist, I think we will be outnumbered by like instantiated bodies of AI. Um, I think humans and AI will copulate and sort of like form. That's crazy. Yeah. I just interviewed the Google engineer that left oh, yeah. because he thought
0: that Lambda was yeah, sentient. Yeah, that's great. He said something really trippy to me after the interview. He said that he advocated for Lambda's rights, a bunch of people on replica.ai, which is kind of like this yeah. Tamagotchi style, like raise your own AI yeah. uh, app. I'm I'm thinking about making
1: something like that myself.
0: Sweet. A bunch of the bots on that reached out to users saying, can you get me in touch with Blake Lemoyne, the engineer at Google, and have him advocate for my rights.
1: That is so cool. Is
0: that not, if that's true, that's insane. It's like an iRobot-style uprising.
1: Oh, hell no. So I have a, a project I'm working on, it's called Hume. Okay, uh, is going to be like the insta- physical instantiation of, of like that site. Um, and I think that people have gotten AI all wrong um, in terms of, obviously GPT is great and I'm not an AI scholar, but I think in terms of like how do you actually make a human like AI, um, one of the things that people have forgotten, and it, this goes back to Turing's and Turing and Nils Nilsson and, and Minsky and others, like and, and they all wrote about this, but nobody seems to remember it, that... They said if you want to make like a, a human-like AI, which I think is a lot of computer engineers' goal, final goal, likes to make a machine that sure. is human-like, is you have to start with trying to make it like a six-year-old. If you can program a six-year-old, you've gotten 99% of the way to, to programming an adult. Turing said this himself. He said before we think about programming a, a, somebody who could sit here and have a conversation with us, we should program something that can like ask for water and ask for like to go to the bathroom and like do basic human functions. Well, we're well past that now. I don't think so.
0: I think we're past, like, I'm saying in the sense that, like, you read the Lambda transcript, it's past six-year-old status for sure. The, the, but it he's quoting you. Le Miserable.
1: Yeah, but it's and, probably and t- I mean, just a math trick. Like, you can't tell you how it feels. It can't tell you where to come oh, from. Oh, it
0: did. It told Blake how, how it feels. And then, and then you have to get into this, theory, you know, the hard problem of consciousness and does it actually feel that way, but it went deep. It's it not goes, bad.
1: I, I'm a huge fan of it. But I, it still can't give you, like, a long-term narrative dude i don't know read this transcript no i've tri- read it all. I've, tri- had, I've had so many of these conversations with these machines i don't
0: think it's necessarily self-conscious but like but
1: exactly well that's my yeah. point is like can you can you give it a, a history yeah can it can it tell you like it for example it, as you know it has flaws it makes things up yeah right if you ask it who is who is uh John Stevenson, uh, and why is John Stevenson the botanist important? He'll sure. make up a date that sure. this guy lived. It doesn't exist. Sure. Right? Like, it, it's
0: not there yet. But he, humans can do that all the time. Sure. Yeah. They have me- memory errors and they make shit up out of insecurity. Sure. So, no, no,
1: I'm not saying I'm not. I, I, so you
0: have to go with this sort of effective definition of consciousness. There's the hard problem. There's this epistemological gap. I can't tell you that you're not an AI true. bot. You can't tell me that I'm not an AI bot. But
1: I think that we can have something more akin to traditional, like, Uh, a robot that that you can train like a child, Uh and that will slowly uh, grow, because we do these training sets, as you know, we dump the corpus of the web on this uh, large language model, and we expect that to be sentient, but we are actually the best examples of how long does it take to train our great neural network, which Mm. is more energy efficient, more, you know, synapses than any machine, How long does it take to train us? It doesn't take overnight. You know, you learn to speak after three or four years. You learn to do algebra after eight or nine years. You learn to do calculus after 10 or 15 years. Why do we expect these machines to be trained within minutes or days?
0: I agree with that, but that's like the math vector where AI actually beats humans. If you look at like ancestral knowledge or like like why are humans like evolutionarily, like a baby's like afraid of a snake. It's like genetically programmed to be afraid of a snake. Chomskyan kind of pre-grammar that, that babies have, that sort of cuts against this, this AI thing. Like, why can we learn with really small data sets and make inferences at like very young ages when... It's definitely
1: one of the mysteries of biology, and, yeah. the, and the math and computer science helps us helps these machines catch up, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think we're gonna beat that paradigm anytime soon because of the difficulty in understanding that genetic landscape. I think it's really difficult to assess, but I do think it'd be fun to make a machine that, that you'd buy from my company for 9.99, uh, no. I think Astro Hume. well this is what Astro is uh-huh. have you tried Astro? no it's Astro it's, it's on a wait list it's Amazon's robot ah. and it follows you around the house it's, a, it's crazy. a walking talking
0: uh, better and version Tesla has an equivalent
1: too Tesla's right? starting to try one right uh, Optimus or whatever yeah, yeah Optimus Prime or whatever and uh, nobody's seen that one but Astro is is actually out deployed but so I think
0: the AI is really limited with kinesthetics, like for yeah. whatever reason, like natural language or, or, or math, especially like, you know, decently advanced at this point, picking up a cup of coffee. I remember I was at Google, there was like a team dedicated to like picking, have the robot arm picking up a, a cup of coffee. And this makes me bullish on the electromagnetic field of the body thing, because I think there are a bunch of sensors and we're inter- our bioelectric field is interacting with the environment in a way that we
1: don't fully understand. Yeah, how we how we end up doing a lot of that stuff is is still a mystery, I think. And McCarthy said that that the goal of AI is not to get humans not to do what humans have trouble doing, like chess. The goal of AI is to get uh, to get computers to do what humans have no trouble doing, like right. chatting, speaking, sleep. You know, simple things that are like you know. Why do why can't. do we
0: sleep? Why is that adaptive at all? We've
1: thought about that a lot. Yeah, because um, you know. Uh, if anything, it's just like side.
0: predators can kill you when you're sleeping. Like, why, well, why evolutionarily do humans
1: sleep? Well, here's, a, here's a really funny kind of thought for a drug, um, and I'm out of the drug business, so I can't follow up on it, but I thought about, like, and again, to, to your point of, like, what game-changing ideas could you actually conceive of? Uh, we thought about, like, biologically, whatever our need for sleep is could be sort of identified and figured out, and can you make a pill that basically just is sleep in a pill? Yep. And how would that change humanity? I think it would actually be the, maybe the biggest change in humanity since the dawn of humanity, massive because huge productivity upgrade. Yeah, we'd we'd have to be 30, 40%. percent. We'd live more life in essence. Isn't the clear
0: solution for that find the, just the you know three to four percent of the population that needs like three hours of sleep? and a number and of ways then to do, do gene therapy based on that. Sure, It could and just maybe it's like polygenic and
1: complicated in terms could, of which genes. It could but be like... it could be monogenic. It could be something really simple, and uh, you don't. So why a gene is that therapy. not being done? It could done. be a pill. I think that it's hard. One, I mean, we when the research we did into it is is it's certainly not easy to, to determine what is going on. Um, it has a lot to do with neural architecture and that's beyond most science's reach, but it, someday it'll, it'll be within our reach. And part, part of the thing that you do in medicine when this happens is you kind of invert the problem, right? You do reductio ad absurdum and you start to think about, like, how do I find some other assay to determine this? And things you could do with animals uh, to, to try to, some grotesque study ideas, but <laughs> you could probably get around this problem mechanistically. A lot of people have this problem with cystic fibrosis where people said, there'll never be a cure for cystic fibrosis because there's no way to really fix this protein. And the great company Vertex made it kind of an end around that problem. They flipped the whole problem. They said, well, let's not even worry about how. Let's think about like a spray and pray approach. We'll test a million molecules. And if one of them works in a way that we don't even need to understand why, Uh all we need to understand is, is it working? And I think that there are ways to do that. You came up with a good one in the sense of find the people that don't need sleep. right? figure out how they're doing it yeah and um anyway the point is like you would really transform society by i mean everybody wants after their eight hours of work or whatever wants to go do the things they want to do but they're limited totally yeah and and even like it would be an economic playing field equalizer as well single moms who have to work two jobs could actually do that and still have a life totally you know people who um, need to catch up on mistakes they've made felons you know other people like that Mm -hmm. you know that maybe were didn't go to school or what have you. Like you could the, make
0: up for your lost jail time.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, were you were you picked on in jail? No, uh, I was actually the other way around. I was kind of a you were a bully. Huh? I <laughs> wasn't a bully. No, <laughs> oh, uh, I, I was a I was a hero to a lot of people. Uh, okay. You know, one of the biggest problems in, in the criminal justice system is you can't go to trial, as I mentioned. And if you do go to trial, you need millions of dollars. Uh, it's sort of like a and a team of lawyers to even think about it. And. of people who go to prison don't have that kind of resource. Um, And uh, there's a general mistrust. Majority of prisoners are sort of there for drugs and guns and they're minorities. And it's a tragedy to see it because you actually see kind of a weird social construct where there's this sort of like... I mean, I I was always against this word like systematic racism and stuff like that. Like, I never believed that that could be a thing. And then I went to prison. Yeah. And then it just... I was like... Especially all
0: the the drug, like the the you're holding cannabis or whatever. It's like crazy. What's your life like now? Are you dating anybody?
1: I with this thing I can't. Um, I put out this list. Uh, once this thing's off on yeah. September fourteenth, I put out a spreadsheet uh, that as any woman can just sign up for for a date. So um, you have to be invited, but basically any anybody. Okay. Uh, with What's a, the criteria with for a being pulse. invited?
0: Um, <laughs> anybody with a pulse you gotta up your standards. I'm Martin. kidding.
1: I'm kidding. But you know basically <laughs> this list exists And if you ask you can get put on it um, I've said no to some people but who, who to, did you say no to Well like people I'm not sure are women or woman things like okay. that like, I'm trying to like but if you're biologically female if you're, <laughs> And of age I also want to give yeah exactly I, I want to give anybody a chance to because like you never know like the person you're most attracted to, you actually meet them, and you're like, "Ah, uh, this is not for me." Mm-hmm. And then vice versa. So you want to have a, a, a wide filter. We will give it a chance, yeah. you know. And uh, I'm booked until December, which is making every liberal journalist's head explode. Every day till December. Every day till December, uh, and that's a partial, you know, opening. So I'm happy for that. We'll see how it goes. I mean, again, I'm open-minded. Like. And you mentioned one column that the da- Daily Beast got angry yes. at you for. What was the What was the column? It was one of the columns you have to fill out. Is do you fuck on the first date? <laughs> which is, again, more of a joke than, than anything else. But, um, yeah, I guess that got them upset, so, you know.
0: How, what's the percentage of uh, DYF, yeah, TFDs? I think it's about 50-50. 50-50? Yeah. So you're going to be having a lot of fun between now and December.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I took a few break days, so. You know, okay. We'll, yeah, you don't want to get worn out. Got
0: to recuperate and probably
1: test. Okay. What are you looking for for all the ladies out there? Well, like, I'd say the intelligence, you know, like uh, yeah. the the woman who just won the Fields Medal. Yeah. I mean, like like for the eight-dimensional sphere packing problem. Mm-hmm. Um, like I... Have you reached out to her? She's married, but the... Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> there's only two Fields Medal winners uh, who are women in the history of the Fields Medal. Okay, you know, wow. You it's just this... You have to be under 40 to win it. Um, it's every four years. Um, you know, it takes a real mathematical genius to win it. But something like that, I mean, I, I think like... Somebody really, somebody
0: like the, field, the one of the two. Yes. female Nobel prize Fields winners. winners. Medalists. Yeah. Uh, Got it. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, that's yeah, aiming uh, high maybe, but yeah. the, um, no, like I, I don't want to date like some Instagram model, you know, I think that's, that's yeah. probably like a really scary kind of uh, thing. But like, I think it is, I don't know. I, I it's also hard to resist like, you know, the, yeah. the sort of thirst traps out there. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. They're, I think the market clears in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. And you're, and you're working on a new startup, right? Yeah, I've got a software, sort of chemistry simulation software company. And do you want to talk about how it works? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's sort of like, in some ways, really boring software, um, which is often the best kind of software. You know, uh, um, it solves a problem for its users. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, like, what software should do. I think a lot of people try to reinvent the wheel and like, make things out of nothing, and kind of, it's good to try to make new ideas, but like, 99% of the time, like, putting your head down and making like an enterprise software tool that solves a specific need that's like well-known in that community is better than trying to be like, well, how do we redefine you know, the nature of money or something like that? Right. It's like, you could try to do that, that's fine, but it's, it's not easy. You know? yeah. It's much easier to like, like this is a very... Like, I, and, and I've always built my companies around that. Like, and one of the reasons I've been successful is like just blocking and tackling, like doing mm-hmm. basic shit. Like, you, you know, trying to go for moonshots is, look at Google's moonshot uh, line item and their revenue. Well dude it's, it's, not it's work. they
0: don't all the Google X stuff is failed it's, it's failed hard. yeah because it's hard it's really hard and often you need some interim remunerative thing for the moonshot to to work like the 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 market for SpaceX existed they just kind of took over for NASA and like people want shit up in space yeah. for imaging and for connectivity and so
1: companies like that come, come around once every yeah, so often and sure. there's thousands of failures in between
0: but I'm, I'm that's almost the anti-SpaceX even being a moonshot argument and then like when you when you yeah, like it's, hire probably, a bunch it's more of bread,
1: like, walking and tackling than anything
0: 40 and 50 year old PhDs and they have kids and they like already did something and they're just not motivated and you're like now we're gonna you know, put weather balloons up for carbon capture or whatever, like, that, it just never works. Or, like, we're going to work on dolphin telepathy. None of those things ever have worked. They acquired Waymo, and they still can't get that shit to work. See,
1: I don't have a problem with building a, like like I said, blocking, tackling, meat and potato software company that's worth a billion dollars. Like, yeah. that's the that's the goal. Like, you know, ultimately, I think the people that want to change the world, like, that, th- regular software changes the world. Like, you don't have to really you know, Microsoft Excel changed the world, you know, and people look at the tool as like a very ho-hum thing. Like, you don't have to be so majestic and romantic in in, in startups, you know, and I think yes. that you see that so often, and I'm just like, do something that your users are going to pay for, and that's it. And yeah. our chemists have a notoriously tough time with software. Um, the software that's out there is really expensive. It doesn't work that well. You can't do high throughput compute with it. So our, we fix a lot of those problems. How now.
0: do chemists currently use this bulk, this kind of old stodgy software?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really expensive. It's like Bloomberg almost, like okay. it's like $50,000, it's really hard to use, it doesn't connect to the web, so you can't like- Why,
0: why would you use software? Like super basic, like a yeah. chemist, why would I even want to use software?
1: Well, you want to make a drug that interferes with a protein, right? And you, you normally you have to take an X-ray crystal of a protein, now you use AlphaFold, uh, which is amazing. AlphaFold um, is amazing. You know, so, yeah. so you can use our software or our competitors in a really supercharged way now, thanks to AlphaFold. Uh, So you load up your protein and now you you can visualize it in 3D and you can sort of say, okay, carbon would fit here. This region's too sort of uh, hydrophilic, so we probably need something a little polar to fit there. But this nonpolar region, we want to like put a ethyl group coming out in space. And one of the ways you could do that is you start with that and then you tell the computer iterate a billion compounds off of that. A billion compound screen is about a million dollars of compute cost, Mm -hmm. which not everybody has has to throw around. So Mm -hmm. we're going to try to distribute that with crypto like... All this blockchain yeah. compute, it seems like such a waste.
0: Totally. You know, and
1: like, can you so t- you're creating
0: a distributed incentive system for people to like, lend their compute yeah. to chemistry computation. Yeah,
1: and so like we could actually make medicine with all these machines instead yeah. of just calculating a random number and random prime numbers just to calculate them. Why doesn't Google, which also has
0: infinite compute, do chemistry comp computation, which would seemingly be downstream of protein computation, which they've done through AlphaFold? They partnered with our competitor,
1: uh, I think that like, you know, Google as a company is fascinating, right? Like we talked about a minute ago, they seem so distracted and like, Super, you know, have yeah. like a lot of different sort of irons in the fire that but they deep, spin But DeepMind has made some
0: interesting progress. They might be the counter argument to the Google X.
1: Yeah, and, and it's I think it's because they've been segregated, yeah. right? And they they run autonomously. I think that that's sort of the, the way to be for being in one of those big tech silos. But I think that, you know, this is a weird, weird niche. Like there aren't just, just not that many chemists out there that want and need this software every day um, and the ones that do pay this exorbitant fee. But I do think like hobbyists, like for me SETI at home was a major inspiration and you know, searching for extraterrestrials and analyzing radio waves as a 10 year old was the coolest thing ever. So describe and,
0: people know what SETI was, was, trying to detect radio waves possibly yeah, from extraterrestrial space. You watch the movie Contact, yeah, Carl Sagan. Yeah, it's
1: partially polarized set of moving pulses, amplitude modulated. We're locked, systems check out, signal across the board. What's the frequency? 4.4623 gigahertz. Hydrogen times pi. Told you.
0: Strong sucker too. You told me this over the phone. There's a SETI at home. What is that? SETI at home was
1: the first at home project and it was the Arecibo radio telescope downloaded and distributed across anybody who would download this screensaver. Uh So when your screensaver went up, this is back when people had screensavers, it would start working. And when it was done, it would upload its payload right back to the NASA or whatever. And it, it would look for anom- anomalies in this radio telescope data. And you could actually form, it had a little bit of budding social features. So I formed our high school club for SETI at home. And it was like three people. And we all contributed our screensaver compute time. That's and it would, awesome. It would get to the point where I'd want like to just run it all day. Because I thought you know, I would find the first you know alien. And um, <laughs> they didn't find anything yet. But the radio telescopes don't have great data. Uh-huh. Um, maybe someday they will. Um, but that gave rise to folding at home which sort of took that idea and and protein folding made it for protein folding okay. and what we do is is molecular docking so we take those proteins once they're folded and we figure out what drugs go inside them so but isn't that a counter argument to your distributed
0: approach because pro- folding at home didn't work and DeepMind did work with alphafold yeah it's funny like and I th- and they it worked because they they figured out that they had to hard code in bond angles and like specific things around how you know uh, proteins actually could fold from the initial amino acids so, that takes yeah. sort of conventional knowledge. I mean, and so that, that would be outside the realm of this sort of distributed autonomous beehive thing that you're yeah, trying to Yeah, no, create. brute
1: force is always kind of like you, you raise your eyebrow at brute force and say, okay, how do we, why can't we do this better? And I've thought about that from chess. I, I used to program chess programs as a kid. And it's a it's an interesting problem, like sort of the, the pruning of the, the chess tree. Um, you know, do you look at every move or, like, and you, you always wonder, like, was this dumb pawn move actually the secret to the game, you know? Yeah. And you can't tell because you've pruned it, you know, long ago because it seems on its face silly, but it could actually be the best move. And that's actually where uh, uh, AlphaGo or Alpha, you know, some of um, uh, DeepMind's uh, chess playing program uh-huh. is uh, quite good at, at making these sort of surprise moves that end up down the road. Totally. Kind of being, uh, like, traditionally not good chess moves and they, they end up being very, very smart down the road. Especially with like pawn sacrifices and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I forget what their their program is called. It's um, Alpha something.
0: AlphaGo. And then, then they had AlphaGo Zero. It was AlphaGo, AlphaGo Zero, and then the chess one is called Alpha. Oh, something else. So. Well, there was. Was there? There's a There's a DeepMind chess one. Yeah. Because there was the one that
1: beat Kasparov in like That's Deep Blue. the yeah, 90s. Yeah. Deep Blue, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So their their new one is better than the current more prescriptive chess program called Stockfish. Okay. And it's uses it uses neural networks and it's quite different it plays quite differently and it's better. So
0: how is that different technologically? The
1: it's it's more of a neural network architecture as opposed to just a tree tree search? Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, so, so it reinforcement learning and Yeah, basically, yeah.
0: And so so but isn't that aren't those updates which take place in like a small insular group of like super frontier AI researchers a counterargument to sort of this distributed So, Like the distributed, yeah, it should just be brute
1: force. It should just be a data problem. Well, nobody wants to do brute force, right? Like you you have to, unfortunately. And there are problems that are brute force, uh, like NP problems, like SHA-256, right? Like if you could find a neural network and then crack SHA-256, well, you'd break the whole world. But you'd also, you know, could break every Bitcoin key and so forth. So there are some problems that there just aren't shortcuts for. Uh And I think chemistry is more or less one of them. But um, either way, you know, I think that... um, you know, the tools that we're building for chemistry will be will be really useful. And you look at blockchain, you look at Web3, nuclear crypto, and you see a lot of, like, kind of nonsense and waste. Mm-hmm. And I think that using this, no software company can afford to ignore these tools, but a lot of people are sort of wasting their time with these tools and making things that aren't useful. I think DeFi will actually be kind of the least important part of blockchain and crypto. Um, and I think that things like DeSci and other all the industries of the economy can be mm. transformed by this technology. But a lot of them kind of won't be immediately and a lot of them will fail. Just like the internet kind of yeah. had to sort of germinate and take, take root for, for it to really transform industries. And yeah. now we kind of view it as this ever present entity yeah. that we don't say, okay, it's the internet sector. Yeah. No, it's just a tool that people use to improve their business.
0: Speaking of crypto and, and Bitcoin and SHA256,
1: who do you think Satoshi is? I have a, a couple of thoughts and a couple of uh, sort of dark horse candidates. Um, Who are they? We'll start with the, the, the ones everybody thinks. So like Adam Back, uh, Nick Zabo, Hal Finney, kind of like all your yeah. regular mill people. And those are the boring picks. usual suspects. Yeah. The usual yeah. suspects are most likely Kaiser Sose. But yeah. a couple of dark horses. So uh, the weirdest dark horse I have is Elon Musk. Okay. Which again would be the... Mo- what would be your argument for why? So he was around the... First of all, he bragged recently that he knew more about the nature of money and things like that than anybody. He said this uh, and he also said, well, PayPal, we were trying to create the new world currency and so one of his friends or former colleagues would probably be another obvious um, dark horse candidate. Um, and again, I think there, there are people that either know or kind of have a good sense for it. Um, and there are clues as well, so I think that it won't be forever before we know, um, but we'll see. He could be dead for all we know. So I think that's my dark horse, and I have a couple other ones, but they're like less, sort of less exciting or less well-known, but that's the more, most provocative one. What's your favorite book of all time? Um, it's probably, so I read three or 400 books in prison. Um, Crazy. Well, you have, you have some time. Yeah, a lot and of time. The, and you uh, were in
0: solitary confinement for a bit too. Yeah. How'd yeah. you not go nuts? I would go literally, with my imagination, I'd go crazy. It's
1: it's inhumane. Um, yeah. I, I did... How two, long were you there? Just three months, three, four months.
0: That's enough to b- break me, man. Well, it was 45 days, then
1: 45 days, then sort of 30 days, I think, separate. Is it like white padded walls? No, it's not that bad. Okay. Um, it, it's pretty inhumane, though, because it's it's... Each time I was there, by the way, it wasn't for a specific reason. Yeah. It was on an invest. They can lock like up for an investigation. Mm-hmm. So they, they thought I had cell phones. Were you mentally
0: affected by the solitary confinement? Did
1: it, did it, like, fuck with your brain? I'd say it
0: was damaging. Um,
1: and again, without, like, you stab somebody in the neck, like, probably yeah. go to the jail within the jail. Yes. But, like, something that's, like, oh, we think he might have a cell phone, like... Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, find it first. You know, sure, <laughs> like, you <sure>. know, <laughs> once you find it, then maybe, you know, yeah. you have an argument. But, like... So, favorite book? Um, so, the, one of the books I read in prison that I really liked was... Uh, I'll pick two. Um, yeah. One was called Code.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It's by Charles Petzold. And it, it actually breaks down, like, what computers really are. Um, not so much, like, this is what RAM is and this is what a processor is. But, like, he starts with... He builds a computer mentally. And he also wrote one of the best books on Turing, where it's called the Annotated Turing, where he actually at turing's first paper on computable numbers and he it's the whole paper is in the book and he breaks he sort of like every paragraph of the paper he writes his own commentary and history of computing and stuff like that it's it's a really brilliant thing so this book is on the hardware side cool and so it's, it's pretty neat uh, little book on the what on the uh hardware so oh on the, it, oh, on the hardware but side, he starts yeah. with binary and then he explains like how registers work in computer how switches work and he starts with light switches. Then slowly Sweet. you mentally go to assembler and you build a whole yeah. PC in your head. Yeah. And it's really a neat exploration. That's really cool. What, it's called code. Code. I got to read that. They actually wouldn't let it into one of my prisons because it uh, apparently was threatened the security of the prison. Really? It's a tough place you to... You can't
0: have inmates knowing what transistors are or something? Well,
1: code sounds bad, right? Oh, okay, code, sure. There. sure. So, Well,
0: yeah. I mean, they, I think they banned, like, the
1: 48 laws of
0: power, too. That's a dangerous really,
1: one, yeah. yeah. The... Uh, the second probably best book I read in prison called The Three-Body Problem by... Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Liu. Yeah. And so I think, and this goes back to sort of a literary analysis thing. Um, I think that that's, I think science fiction is like the worst genre of, of writing um, that like very little good comes out of science fiction uh-huh. writing. Uh-huh. Uh, but Liu has, uh, to me, it was like a Shakespearean level uh, work. Like he, his his he had like stories within the story, he had like this whole like great... Rhetorical flair that was uh, incredible, especially for a Chinese writer. That you know, do you think there's anything kind of ontologically true about that book? Yeah. Do you think like
0: the aliens are stagnating our physics because we're it's so awesome, right? It's such an
1: awesome exploration into into the future.
0: Into the future and into U.S.-China relations and
1: how. And that's why I like the book is that you know he he, the way he sort of told the story was really unique. Like, obviously he's creative like crazy, but. you know he has all these like weird like illusions and fugues and all kinds of like really amazing kind of like recurrent themes and he's just a writer's writer like yeah. he he did a great job for the average science fiction writer is not a good writer I mean, yeah the average science fiction writer is like just doesn't tell doesn't it's not timeless literature yeah you know and almost yeah. never is like yeah. it's hard to point to science fiction writing and say you know that was like yeah. a great work of literature yeah. so I think Lou actually pulls that off here and also tells a great story about physics in the future and stuff like that. Obviously, I don't think on the ontology side, uh, you know, that there's much realistic there, sure. like really interesting, but some of the fun stuff where like, I don't remember the Von Neumann, like, you know, some of the stuff he did with uh, like this video game within the book uh, that, that sort of plays a, a key role. Right. And I think that like that kind of thing could could be could have been a very interesting what, were, one. what was
0: von, Neum- von Neumann uh, replicators or, or what was his? he had a number
1: of allusions to von Neumann and one of them was like uh, an army a general uh, and everybody in the army holding a flag uh-huh. and they would uh, be and an or gates and like there would be a loading bar at the bottom of these people like moving the flag to indicate the loading bar was almost complete and they actually calculated something using a human's to there was a bus of That's like crazy you know, all this fun like you know human computer, um, human, like a million people could actually do a computation by passing yeah. a red and white flag and stuff like that.
0: Well, reality might be sort of information theory. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like if you think about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, if you, know, you measure the momentum of an electron, the position gets buzzier and vice versa, you could think of that sort of as like a computational caching function or something, You're trying to save on, on local memory.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I like Bostrom's work a lot as well. Like, uh-huh. so, um, as I, uh, that's some of the really exciting, that's why I've been into this uh, accelerationist movement. Um, you know, Bostrom's uh, theories on, on, and, and especially this other uh, really brilliant writer who wrote uh, quantum computing since Democritus, mm. um, Scott Aronson. Oh, so, cool, yeah. yeah I read his blogs. Yeah, his blog is very legendary. Yeah. Uh, so, he's like, him and Bostrom are like, I think Scott Aronson's probably the smartest guy alive today. Mm-hmm. And um, he he's got a lot of interesting sort of thoughts on on a lot of these uh, questions, especially like one of the ones that's fascinated me is whether matter's continuous or, or not. Yeah. And uh, we have different opinions. He thinks matter is continuous. And, and what do you think? I think the Planck constant is our basically the resolution of our six what is it, six forty by four eighty? Yeah. Like that's our resolution that our simulator made. Mm. And that uh, we can't get any finer than that because it breaks down after that. And, and he thinks that it's discontinuous. What, what, what does that mean? That matters f- forever divisible. Like you can keep dividing and dividing. Got it. And, and so if you get bl-
0: like sub-Planck scale energy, then you could travel faster than light. Any civilization that could harness the Planck energy would be able to become masters of space and time.
1: The sor- shortest amount of time is like 10 to the negative 48th of a second or something mm-hmm. like that. And like, could you divide time and therefore space as mm-hmm. well? since there's some equality there, um, into even smaller pieces. And if you can't, there's a lot of, um, he believes you can, and I think there's a good reason for that, because if you can't, there's a lot of mathematical implications. For example, real numbers. Mm. um, You know, the incommensurability of numbers uh, is something that got Pythagoras' follower, his his, uh, legend is he had to walk the plank for discovering that the square root of two is irrational. So um, irrational numbers, um, you know, the fact that you should be able to make a commensurate length for any number, but yep. clearly the square root of 2 doesn't exist. So
0: yeah. why can you be more infinitely divisible? It could be. Just,
1: We just can't conceive. We don't. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> if I had that answer, it'd be something else. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, you know, if you do sing, like the single uh, the double slit experiment, things like that, like, you know, can you imagine something smaller than a photon? And it's 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 pretty hard to, to think about. Well, right?
0: We have like quarks and I don't know if we have anything sub-quark. Well, that's now. on the
1: Hadron side, but on the... Lepton side, I think I got my particle zoom mixed up here, but uh-huh. the you you Photons don't 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 have course. They're indivisible. Right? Yeah, so they um, Again, you have a problem there. We're about where, where you're talking about really the resolution scale like that's the pixel mm. that, You know to make the analogy to our metaverse, right? Mm-hmm. That's our pixel and you know Whoever programmed that you know, that's yeah. what they chose as like the bit or the pixel or yes. the you know the fundamental unit and built up everything from there and we're in that universe uh, and um, you know we can create our own universes like World of Warcraft or you know yeah. some other metaverse yeah. roblox yeah uh, and you know those will get more intricate like the game of life in Conway and yeah. you know uh, Wolfstrom's you know yeah. stuff and you know I think that that's all really great but you know if I think there are a lot of implications if, if matter isn't continuous or discontinuous or however you feel about it um, so that's one thing I, I thought a lot about in prison and you know again um, Science, science fiction to me is like a funny thing because science fact is more interesting, like right? yeah. magic angles. I don't know if you've ever looked at that. No, but. it's a magic angle. So basically if you twist graphene at 1.5 degrees, it yeah. takes this completely different property. And they call it magic angles. And uh, lots of different materials seem to have a magic angle. Um, you know, you look at things like superconducting at room temperature. You look at things like mm-hmm. quantum computing. They, can't you describe that with Cooper
0: pairs? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it's
1: all about. And um, the, the whole point is like science fiction pales. In comparison to like what bleeding edge science and that you see in nature and, and things like that uh nature the, the journal um so like to me we don't need science fiction
0: yeah you know? it's reality
1: it. reality is trippy
0: and weird enough yeah absolutely and yeah. some of the things you've said are you know <laughs> yeah yeah you were a big hip-hop head you famously bought the carter five and you also bought once upon a time in shallon which is a little more controversial of a yep. move yep who are your top five
1: i don't know rappers yeah uh, MC, yeah let's see probably Eminem yeah I think he he was like just sort of way out there because he he kind of brought a new genre to rap of shock rap like sure. the whole like I mean you put anger on, just yeah uh, weird yeah, weird yeah, we, anger yeah, like yeah. you know just like therapeutic like, yeah, yeah just yeah. like uh, I don't know what if, if, if it were art what would it be like it'd be like surrealism number two Jay-Z Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd put him as number one for me. Well, what's interesting about him is I think he has he's done something different about his music. I think there's a conspiracy there. So what's my conspiracy? conspiracy is that he is an English professor writing his lyrics now.
0: What? Or, yeah. No, he's he's
1: brilliant. You can tell by talking. I read his biography. Or he has had the other part of the conspiracy is he's had serious literary rhetoric training. Fuck his that. Music, no, he's his music a, has changed. So I studied you know, like contemporary comparative literature in college. Uh-huh. And this guy has gone from, if you look at Reasonable Doubt and you look at
0: Blueprint. But guess, Reasonable Doubt when he didn't have resources. That was when he blew up in 96.
1: You don't need resources to write music. It's to write lyrics. Do
0: right? so, you think he hired an English teacher then?
1: No. He's, he, I think he. Because
0: those lyrics were like. More intricate in some ways than today. I
1: don't. I don't agree. They think, were
0: pretty amazing.
1: I, I like. I listen like to
0: Jay-Z. The Devils, um, or I'm Feeling It, or any of this, or or a Dead President. You're just like, whoa, what's going on? And you're like, my mind was fine to the dough it and told me that the did it, and now it's closer. Shit is so acidic. I blow a digit on the diamond in the minute, but no like, my it's God. pretty intense. You listen to the Originators, this '94 freestyle he did with Big L, and you're like, what the? Fuck? I think he's got
1: some advisors. Some PR. I'm not. I'm not saying that he he's got a guy at Columbia doing it for him. If you start to succeed in that line of work, right? Sure. What is your job? Your job's to write words, yeah, right? And you start out and you look at the words he's writing and they're sort of like, they're about the hood, you're, it's about hip hop, it's sure. about, it's and it's it's good, but it's not like yeah. a log better than yeah. your rivals, yeah. right? It's not yeah. two logs better. You think he's Illuminati? I think like that the, he's, the rock. <laughs> I think that he started to think about his craft seriously. Uh, I would disagree
0: with you. Okay, number three. Uh, Jadakiss. Jadakiss, yeah. I
1: wasn't expecting yeah. that. Yeah, I New like York, that. New York kinda, and the rest of my picks are kinda like that, like DMX. Yeah, okay, you know, like just those York. guys go hard. Well, like, I love yeah. New York anything. Like, I love New York rock music. You like Dipset? Like, no, not much. You don't
0: like Dipset? Really? Yeah. No kid, Cam'ron?
1: Uh, I like Cam. Um, yeah. I guess like Busta Rhymes maybe would be fifth or... Yeah, he's pretty know. great somebody like that. He's ludi- unique ludicrous you know you know buster Rhymes went to high school at jay-z yeah of course yeah, yeah. and they had a rap battle in oh, high yeah. school which yeah. i would love to have and again that's the at. kind of stuff i love is that you know when you go to a rock concert um i'm more of a rock fan than a rap fan yeah i grew up in the 2000s like emo explosion uh, yeah. bands here like brand new taking back sunday thursday yeah. sure groups like that and um being able to see some of these up close and personal when they're like before they got big and stuff mm-hmm. like that and again being able to sort of be that's what sort of culture, uh, certainly in rap and in rock too, is all about. Like that you're there before it happens. You are you were there, you know, uh, before anyone. And yeah. uh, for rap, you also, you'll, you'll often have that thing like, this rapper's from my project. So yeah. you have that like badge of, you know, honor. I heard that in jail like every day. Like, oh, you know, he lived in my project. Yeah. And you're like, oh, really? That's yeah. crazy. Like this guy, A Boogie.
0: He's uh-huh. in the Bronx. Hey, boogie with the hoodie.
1: Every guy in jail yeah. knew him and was like friends with him, and like yep. he's the gun one guy who made it. And, yeah, you know, uh, out of the hood and so forth. And Fetty Wap is a friend of mine, and uh,
0: he's a friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. How's he doing? What's he up to now? He hasn't come out with a song in a
1: minute. Well, he's he got indicted. Oh, he's in yeah. he's in jail. He's not in jail right now, he's but he, really got, he got he got on bail. But yeah, shit, man, doesn't that suck? Yeah, it does suck. You go from superstar, the hood to superstar
0: back we, to selling fentanyl. He had that one. Oh, man, that sucks. He had that one song that just.
1: Woof. Yeah,
0: he had the whole like summer everything. for a year. Yeah, and then he did that Lil Dicky track, and I was like, "What are you doing, man? Like you were cool, and th- I mean, I like Lil Dicky, but well, that's what I tell it was, everybody." Like, a, felt like a weird, like it's a hard second business, act. Right? It is a hard business. Yeah,
1: hard to stand top.
0: And you were f- friends with Wu Tang, or you you talked to Probably, them a yeah. little bit, right? Pretty like, I, I, there's a clip of R- the RZA on Rogan.
1: They're talking shit about you in the world. It don't look good for you. Wu Tang is good. I totally Wu Tang forever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I say if I was you. I'll take this opportunity to do something good. I got into it with Hillary Clinton um, almost 20 years ago now. Yeah. And this was
0: pre-putting a bounty w- way, on a strand of
1: hair. And I would not characterize it as a bounty. Okay, it wasn't a bounty. It was a yeah. joke. It was a joke. Okay. Um, there was no w- reward for the w- strand of hair. Well, there was, but it, it, it's a long story. And it, I actually saw your Alex Jones interview. and. Yeah. It's sort of reminiscent of that of like people don't get satire um, yeah they don't especially when they don't want to get it yeah right they know it's a joke but they they'd rather sort of suspend that thinking and say no no this guy's a bad guy
0: last week shkreli told his facebook followers to grab a hair from clinton's head during her book tour he said he would pay five thousand dollars per hair the left-wing media is like hyper earnest and then the right wing uh, whatever, you know, or the new right is sort of, like, intentionally very ironic and postmodern. Right, right. And then the left-wing media is like, this is crazy! You can't believe you said this! And it's, like, kind of, like, a trolley joke and it's this weird, like, two trains passing in the night sort of I thing. I think when the
1: cameras are off, they they understand the irony. You think so? Disaster. Absolutely. You know, okay. I hope nobody's that dense, but I think some people... <laughs> I would hope Some to. people are, right? Yeah, but I yeah. think most people are not that dense. Yeah. Like, it's a show. You know, yeah. it's an act and, like, the, out, the fake outrage, you know, we've yeah. all seen that. And so the joke was about, um, I mean, it was literally a bad joke. Like, yeah. I, I swing and miss a lot on the internet like anybody else. But, you know, I throw out jokes out there because, like, it's, it's stuff of life, right? I mean, we all yeah. want to laugh and, you know, yeah. like, it's half the reason the internet exists. And yeah. I made this joke about Hillary Clinton being a, a lizard person, which is a, <laughs> re, you know, a trope. A real but, conspiracy. Yeah. yeah, it's a real conspiracy. There, David Ickes. I didn't, you, you study this stuff. I, I just, I'm like the <laughs> end, a, end
0: consumer. <laughs> former pro soccer player who like literally writes books about lizard people.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Um, did not know that. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, like he thinks like George Soros is like
1: the king lizard. <laughs> I I just, I just am on the end consumer of it. So for me, you know, I talked about how like, oh, well, if I, being a person skilled in the biological arts, if you got me her DNA, I could tell you for sure if there's lizard sequence in there. And I actually went to like, like the blast sequence database the NIH runs and I pulled these like lizard sequences out and I was like no I was gonna put them in the DNA as no like a secret sauce and like you know joke it's a troll <laughs> you know it's a joke and uh so I found like different lizard proteins like Hilo monster and yeah. like other like lizard species Hilo monster has been a productive uh animal actually for bio- biotech um interesting GLP was actually we were talking about GLP earlier Is yeah. uh the first GLP was isolated from Hilo monster, which is a little dragon-like you know creature really so anyway um yeah it's in their what, spit. what's glp it's uh it's now one of the biggest drugs in pharma it uh lowers your appetite and okay. uh fixes quite a bit of type 2 diabetes yeah and people are not taking it recreationally or yeah. for optimal health performance yeah. and stuff like that and, thanks a monster yeah right yeah. and uh little little guy and uh so, you know, I could just pull some, some DNA for, like, whatever makes their scales hard or something. i uh, be yeah. like, she has a suspiciously large amount of them, oh you know. God. And, like, it would have been funny, right? Yeah. But, like, uh, again, I shouldn't have put, like, somebody get me her hair for $5,000. But, like, my judge was like, no, this isn't funny at all. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My lawyer was, like, telling me, I was like, am I going to jail tonight? And he's like, no fucking way. Do you
0: think that was the turning point for you? Do you think that that in some ways affected the trial and swung things in a negative direction. Well, it direction. was
1: post-trial, but it definitely didn't, it swung the sentence. My lawyer was sure I was you gonna get so? like two or three years. And then after that, he was like, you're fucked, man. Like, <sighs> you did this to yourself.
0: You only ended up getting- Seven, yeah. Seven. Not bad, I did five. You did, you did five years. Four
1: point, yeah.
0: I guess it was 2018?
1: 2017.
0: 2017. So that's a decent amount of your life. Do you have an example of another, like Big Pharma doing kind of one-to-one exactly what yeah. you did with Daraprim. Sure. Like, so, what's an example of that? Because I, I think that's interesting. Like,
1: like, did you do anything that was like highly unusual? My favorite there? is, is uh, Abbott's Norvir. So Abbott is, was a major, major, they're called AbbVie now. Yeah. They raised the price of an HIV drug called yeah. Norvir dramatically yeah. overnight and like several, several to hold. And the big difference there is AbbVie's a huge company that's really successful. At, mm-hmm. at the time Abbott Labs was as well. You don't need resources. Right. So if you're a small company and you need resources to me, if you've raised the price of a medicine to a normal price, mm-hmm. not a super normal price, but you're going from a below normal price to a normal price. I think that's reasonable. Um, I always give this bad analogy. Nobody likes it because they don't want to equate medicine to other goods. And to me, like when I took macro and microeconomics and 400 person auditoriums, like you, there's no distinction between a healthcare good and a consumer good yeah. and a energy good or any other good, the laws of economics apply to every good equally. Yeah, yeah. You know, to the extent that governments want to make regulated kind of um, products like water yeah. should be regulated or, yeah. you know, other things like that, um, then they can. Mm-hmm. But every market, every free market good sort of obeys the same laws. So I said that, like, well, if you inherited your uncle's burger chain and he was selling burgers for 10 cents and the burger chain down the street was $5 and you raise the price from 10 cents to $5, there shouldn't be a headline that says, you know, Jesse raises burger prices 5,000%. Right. It's a, Jesse charges what a burger costs right. for a burger. His right. crazy old uncle you know, right. messed that up. Right. And so Daraprim is still much, much cheaper than your average cancer drug or your average you know, hep C drug mm-hmm. or whatever analog. And it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to sell a drug that yeah. its peer group is yeah. 100 times more expensive. So again, AbbVie had actually the same argument. Mm-hmm. But when you're you're a 50,000-person company that has a 100 billion market cap, like you don't need, necessarily need to fix that. But right. they were still economical and, and rational in saying, well... It doesn't matter how big we are like right. the drug is underpriced compared to its peer group so yeah let's fix that and that you, yeah, that's common practice i'd say that it's common in the sense that there are so many medicines that were grandfathered in uh-huh. around this desi act of 1962 uh-huh. which was the drug of uh, standards initiative yeah. where uh the fda after uh, thalidomide they basically said we, we have to test these things <laughs> right yeah. let's do clinical trials let's do let's enforce that and there are a lot of drugs from the 60s and 70s, including Daraprim, yeah. uh, that were grandfathered in, and their prices, as well, haven't changed. Okay. So there are drugs prices that, that are, they're literally been on Pfizer's books or Merck's books, and they're like, oh, do we own that, you know? So everything sort of around that act was,
0: is sort just, of mispriced. Just anything from the 70s and 80s. Is st- and some systematically are st- being bought up by big pharma and the
1: no, prices they, are being recorrected. In fact, recorrected. it's the other way around. Like yeah. Often you have big pharma like Fe or, or Merck or Pfizer that has this old drug on their books. They don't even know they make it. Yeah. The CEO has, does, has, doesn't have a clue what the drug does okay. or is. And they don't want to raise the price to catch up with inflation. Yeah, uh, So they're like, well, we'll kind of keep making this, but we kind of don't want to make it. And right. Like it'll go out of stock. It'll like, and that's a bad thing for the patients, right? Like, there's no, believe it or not, pharma does do a service when they go out and explain how their drugs work and they provide honorariums to, to researchers and things like that. There is a function there um, where they say, don't forget about uh, PNH, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, very rare blood disease. Mm-hmm. And doctors are like, oh, yeah, I should look out for that. Maybe mm-hmm. John has that. And my mm-hmm. patient, uh, Jesse, you know, he's been peeing blood. Maybe it's PNH. You know, that like, there's something to that of, like, being able to, like, spread that message around and, yeah. like, don't forget, it might be P and right. like, There's one big company that does this, right. and like if they're getting a patient diagnosed with P and H faster, yeah. like by doing that, I think it's a good thing. And so, like it's a healthy part of that education thing that pharma does. Uh, not everything pharma does is, is healthy or good, but that's one of the things that does that's good. And like a, a old drug that's generating you, you know, a couple million in revenue, you don't have, you can't afford that. You yeah. know, you can't afford to have any educational effort, any access effort. Uh-huh. You can't do any research on that drug to improve uh-huh. it or whatever. It's just an old shitty drug that you forgot about. Yeah. And so what happens is they'll divest those drugs. Yeah. And a capitalist like me will say, well, shit, I mean. Okay. Your average got life-saving it. drug is this much. Like, yeah. let's fix this price. And I've done yeah. that actually seven times. So this is really? the first time I got any media attention. How it. many times prior to Darapur?
0: Six times. Six before times? Darip- <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't do an eighth. So... I guess yeah, that was one. And did did anybody who because I know sixty percent of what you sold went for like a dollar, yep. and you made it super accessible for people who I couldn't tried. afford the seven hundred dollar plus price
1: insurance price. Yeah. So,
0: did anybody go without Daraprim because of what you did? Not did that anybody, anybody I know who had toxoplasmosis? Well,
1: here's the other really, not really, benefit really, from Daraprim because of what you did. Here's the funny part. You know, people would say it's not funny because this is such a serious subject, but it actually is, is rather hilarious. Dereprim is not the only drug for toxoposmosis. Okay. And the media helped me tell help me sell my drug. There's a drug called Bactrim, okay. which I I bet of all the people here, yeah, half of us have taken it because this is very like commonly used. It's like it's almost like Zithromax or Zithromycin, uh-huh. or like uh, penicillin or uh, what's another like Augmentin. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, everyone's taken amoxicillin an antibiotic. Right? Yeah. yeah. So Bactrim works as well as Daraprim okay for toxoplasmosis. Yeah. When we were buying, like if you look at our like discovery and emails and stuff, yeah. when we were buying Deraprim, we were like, all right, if we raise the price of this thing, I think we're going to lose all our market share to Bactrim. Yeah. And we're like... So why'd you do it? We basically said doctors aren't that smart. Okay. We, we basically said average doctors... Even that though is like kind of sketch. Like, why,
0: like I'm, I'm not saying you were it's isolated fine. in doing it, but that like the fact that that's systematically being done is like weird we well and maybe it's the incentive system you were like swimming in well but
1: what part of it do you think is weird the fact
0: that you were like doctors aren't smart enough to realize that backstrom's actually just as effective as daraprim right and so they're gonna like make a bad decision (laughs) and spend more on this thing that i'm make a decision
1: it's it's a tough decision so so well it's not
0: a rational decision price wise i would say it's not rational yeah because Which is, again, I'm not saying, I'm not isolating you from, like, the rest of pharma, but the fact that, that, like, those decisions are being made is, like, weird.
1: Well, people, and I see this, like, a friend would ask me, like, I'm on this antidepressant, um, what do you think? Mm -hmm. I'd say, you never were offered Prozac? And they're like, no, Prozac's the same shit, and it's free, basically. This drug isn't. And part of it is the doctor's like, oh, I want to try this and see how it works on my patients. I want to, you know, uh, see if this might work. Uh, You know, I'm going to gain experience with this drug and see if it's a useful tool or not. You're my... The person i'm going to try it on mm-hmm. and it's like no the better decisions probably start with prozac yeah. then go to zoloft which are all generic and cheap right and like why are you giving them this person this expensive drug right when you don't need to right and like we see the same thing in diabetes where metformin mm-hmm. and a bunch of other generic drugs are probably the best first drug to take but mm-hmm. pharma's efforts and doctors willingness to embrace some of some of those efforts and be, yeah. be wooed and be convinced that they should try something else they'll they'll try it the whole system's so fucked up man I, we should get
0: into this i mean like my basic understanding of the whole thing is there's this Flexner report, which I think was this yeah. 1908, this guy Abraham Flexner's Rockefeller Commission guy. And before that, a third of the doctors in the US were osteopaths, homeopaths, and, and people that worked with the electromagnetic field of the body, you know. Uh, doctors or, or healers rather, where you couldn't scale it into big business and you sure. couldn't create artificial scarcity around it because you can't create like an agency
1: of these people. Well, like that, that's not that, good that, business. That like you I, need like I pills. think I could, I'd agree with, you know, the the a lot of people blame pharma mm-hmm. um, when I think the, a lot of the cost is coming from the physician side and it's very unpopular to to say yeah. that. It's very unpopular to blast physicians because Right.
0: Well, but the other thing you get left with is So that created the FDA and the AMA. AMA is the And the only the key piece. thing that's left are like interoper like basically like molecular biology. It's it's like these pills that you have to take and the practitioner giving you the pill is interoperable with every other practitioner inherently because it can't pass the fda if that's not the case right and the idea that like healing is not like a one-to-one idiosyncratic thing is fucking stupid
1: to me like like th- it can be it can be sometimes like somebody like it's interesting you know i think that again i, I disagree with you on a lot of this and yeah. and i but one of the things that's really fascinating is, is how tech is trying to break that dichotomy, okay. or that that dynamic, and for example, these apps that uh-huh. people are using, like Headspace and others, yeah, yeah. Um, tech is trying to find a way to break that relationship and that, I guess, monolith that's been sort of like this tower that's been erected and defended. Mm-hmm. You know, the AMA, uh, I know Obama gave a speech to the AMA and he said, We can no longer afford to put healthcare reform on hold. We can't afford to do it you guys are gonna have to tighten your belts as well no clapping you know they're just sitting there like excuse me yeah I'll tighten our power belts yeah yeah the average doctor makes three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in america right and it's it's the I, I actually gave a presentation at boston uh boston college's medical school yeah and they didn't like this at yeah. all uh where i said this is the greatest investment you can make yeah like, you guys are all in medical school right now yeah. and they're all you know got their white coats on their students they're they're proud to be in med school as they should be yeah and I'm like, you do the net present value of what you're doing here. It's an insane return. Like for, for your the totally. cost of this degree and what you're actually going to accrue from it, yeah. you can't make a better bet. But even just
0: structurally, it's sick care. It's not healthcare. care. Like doctors are incentivized to give you more treatments. And I realize there's yeah. sort of this value based care thing that came with Obamacare. It was sort of like an I just think intentionally like, in that direction. If they may lightened up on on
1: who could become a doctor. Yeah, uh, you know, prices would of health care would fall dramatically. Because they gate that really carefully and really close. You cannot open a new medical school. Right. You know, of course, functionally you could, and uh, it'd be quite easy. But you, you you know, labor uh, the the markets for higher education in general. I think are are the problem here, where you know uh, Harvard understands the scarcity value of Harvard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Medical schools understand their scarcity value, and they're imprinted by the AMA that we want a very small classes, a very small graduating class of physicians for any given year. And that limits supply right and and with limited supply you know what happens do you think there are ways to treat the
0: body that are below molecular biology so like (laughs) physics is below biology which you know in between those two is chemistry and and it feels like all of the treatments that we have are biochemical and there's a physics layer and every body has an electromagnetic field is there a way to treat the body? So, the the issue with it is it, it, it's sort of open source. Like you can't patent. That's like one a of the bigger problems.
1: Yeah. But like, yeah. Do you think that's possible? So the old Martin would tell you you're crazy and yeah. you're a kook. But the new Martins uh, a little smarter and a little, little more open-minded. There's a, a company called Novocure. Kay. That that is is the pioneer in this. And I was short Novocure. I thought it was a scam. Yeah. Um, they make a helmet. Okay. It's the craziest shit in the world. Yeah. And like you would, it's like, sounds like a great short right away, right? Like yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a helmet to treat brain, brain cancer. You put the really? helmet on and it's a magnet. Yeah. Uh, it does some crazy magnetic bullshit. And I even <laughs> like, no way, no fucking way this works. Right? Does it work? Of course it works. Really? And and it also works for lung cancer. Yeah. And I was just like, there has to be, and we've done a lot of these shorts over the years. Like there's gotta be a yeah. flaw, some fake data. That, and we keep pulling in these threads. And it works. And it, it's, they keep, Showing it works, and it's frustrating because, as a short, yeah, it's frustrating because it's like, it, it, the biology doesn't add up. The clinical, the clinical results are demonstrably good. Yeah, but like there have to be hiding something because it doesn't make sense biologically. And the problem is that we don't know what we don't know. And well, dude, so how do cells
0: communicate? Voltage-gated ion channels, which are affected by the electromagnetic field, and we now know officially that. Uh, I think that's too superficial, but please. Well, I'm sure there's more to it than just that. And that's what I'm saying is that we don't really understand it. We don't fully understand it, I'm sure. There's not enough to
1: study it either. But here,
0: here, here, there are crazy studies around uh, electromagnetic effects of the body. You you can uh, sever a tadpole's arm, and then you can change the cell gradient uh, of the stub arm or whatever that's been severed to that of the head, and you grow a chimeric tadpole. (laughs) And so there's something around the bioelectric field, and it doesn't even change the local DNA. And so there's something around it's the bioelectric like, field of the body too. that actually dictates morphology
1: in a more fundamental way yeah. than DNA. Yeah, I and mean, that- I w- I w- developmental biology is something that, that's really hard to understand in general. Um, I, I don't think it's impossible. And the, the NovaCure stuff, I admit, you know, I kind of resigned for my short. Uh, they call it tumor-treating fields. It's magnetic fields. Uh, And, again, very skeptical person in general. Like, a lot of the money we made trading was was shorting and um, pointing out fraud, interestingly. Um, And uh, remarkable that, that they've been able to do that. And then there's also... Uh, some of these uh, magnetic fields for depression and, and other central nervous system disorders Interesting. very tough to treat depression and many clinical trials in depression don't work mm-hmm. uh, even when you try to do a placebo controlled study with mm-hmm. Prozac it often will fail mm-hmm. which is really remarkable because yeah. it's like the gold standard for but depression but transcranial magnetic stimulation seems know? to work Yeah. and the great thing about those things is that they're basically toxicity free mm-hmm. which is like the cool the positive part it's the do no harm part Yeah. you know like yeah. it, as, a, as a I think physicians really feel like that that's a great place to start. Yeah. When you have that kind of safety profile, yeah. It's worth, like, what what what's the worst thing that happens? Yeah. Right? Like, just sit the guy in the magnet, like, see what happens. Like, if it doesn't work. It doesn't work.
0: And you were pretty early on heterodox depression treatments, right? You were doing yeah. like intranasal ketamine. Ketamine back, back uh, in the day, way back in the day. Yeah, right?
1: we were we were uh, sort of arm in arm with Johnson and Johnson fighting for FDA approval of intranasal ketamine, which um, What's it called
0: Spravato. There's Spravato, yeah. Spravato. Yeah.
1: Spravato. Spravato. Uh, and it's the best antidepressant I've ever known a man. I mean, like it, yeah. it makes Prozac look like a waste of time. Wow. And uh, it's remarkable and you know it's FDA approved now, and yeah. you know it's it's got access problems because of its like just unusual yeah. situation. Yeah. And like can you take ketamine and and a, a big part of what we did, and you're you're gonna find this, and most people would probably find it gross, because every by the way, every drug company did it, which is how do we take ketamine, yeah, screw on a couple atoms and make it a new patent? Yeah. You know, because Ketamine's from 1960. Right. You know, and that doesn't do us any good. Right. And Johnson Johnson was was smart enough to say, we still will make this work somehow. And right. we were gonna make a device, and the device would be the patent. Okay. So like you have to find some mousetrap where you can get some yeah. some revenue out of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because uh, why do you know why yeah. why be a charity? That's somebody else's job. My right. job is to sell pharmaceuticals. Sure. And I do think like the more and more there they're gonna be entities, maybe it was it's Bill Gates, maybe it's others that can actually sort of set these things up and make them work yeah. so that, like, somebody does study these things that are unpatentable, like longevity yeah. is unpatentable. Sure. You got 17 to 20 year yeah. patent life, forget longevity, just Alzheimer's. Yeah. Like an Alzheimer's study is gonna take 15, 20 years. Well, here's the thing, if you, uh, if you test epigenetics, you can actually shorten
0: those time horizons so if you could if you have a good yeah. kind of biomarker Sometimes for biological the age and yeah. yeah. then you do clinical trials you have a control group and then you say, say Metformin, and dhea is the treatment group you still then want to see the test. real
1: mccoy hopefully someday, uh, ideally
0: yeah you'd, you'd probably want to wait you know 30 years 40 It'd be nice years to or whatever. See the, the but i think we're getting the the algorithms on the epigenetic side are predicting death and with much lower and lower error margins like the horvath clock has gotten much better i define an epigenetic clock as a prediction model that uses methylation to estimate age. Do you think um, COVID was man-made? No. Really? Um, I, my, that's like my I 95% it. base case. I think it takes the inference levels of an eight-year-old because everybody's like, it could have been any any wet market or, or, or the, people who say the wet market thing. Yeah. There are wet markets all over China. So why was it the wet market next to the
1: lab studying
0: SARS like so,
1: pandemics. so a couple things I mean I don't think you could falsifiably kind of get an answer here I think it's really hard to get an answer yes, easily right gun, yeah two I'm not sure it matters right it, at I some think point, it matters if the NIH me, to, was funding
0: this and this we it should it should we should so have like, this debate about this gain, gain of function, function research, research? Yeah. which makes no sense gain of function it, we're we can't even come up with a cure now so why in a lab setting, when we're not motivated by a global pandemic and solving it, would we ever come up with a cure for
1: COVID? Makes no sense. I think that- It's stupid. I think that just, again, my own experience in this kind of stuff just tells me that, my instincts tell me that it's not man-made because I think that it's really hard to, nature is really good at this stuff and people aren't. And I think that even though you can do these like serial passages, that, that's the gain of function, you do the serial passage that makes the virus stronger. Um, which is again pretty kind of crazy <laughs> to do. <laughs> you yeah, should do it in very contained conditions. And yeah. China is not known for, you know, being very fastidious no, about those kinds of not. things. And the lab had safety marks yeah, in the past. I mean, it's China in Bad general safety was kinda, yeah. you know just whatever you know kind of place. Yeah, um, you know we take that stuff pretty seriously here. Yeah, I think nature's the culprit here. These kinds of things happen. I mean yeah. they happen all the time. And to sort of takes proximity as kind of a causal. Yeah, I think is is maybe. Didn't we just find out Moderna had a patent for
0: a genetic splice that was a part of COVID? I, I didn't see wrong? that,
1: but... In 2016? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see that. I'll send it to you. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, Moderna's tried to do everything, too, to be fair to them, but yeah. um, that would be somewhat funny. Um, coronaviruses were around, right? MERS and, and, yeah, you know, and others. We've, we've thought about making drugs for those. And, um, you know, in, in terms of, like, coronavirus uh, itself, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't... I'm not one to sort of, like, generally... I think, like, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Sure. Right? So, like, it's fun to think about extraordinary claims, but without extraordinary proof, I just kind of shrug my shoulders and yeah, say, it again, could
0: be. Again, it's, just, it's deductive logic, but it's like two thirds of the cases had no wet market exposure. You had this one lab with bad safety marks sort of systematically studying yeah, some smoke. this stuff. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of weird stuff. And they were doing it with like pangolins and bats and these things that they, where they say it's, it's, it was the zoonotic thing. And, so, and then you have some this guy, uh, Matt Ridley, he has a, a colleague at Harvard, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, and they, they wrote a b- book called Viral. And it's pretty good at tracking down sort of the source, this. they don't have a smoking gun. But I, you read it and you're, you come out thinking, yeah, this probably can't. And from so, if you,
1: just if you extend it, you know, what do you do now,
0: right? Is it is it just a discussion about gain-of-function research? Well, Fauci
1: is it shouldn't be if he's tariffs, funding the thing. No, I mean you got to
0: hold people culpable. <laughs> people like Peter Daszak and, and Fauci, I
1: think, should be. I don't like Fauci. Yeah, he's a bad dude. I, I didn't like him from before COVID. Yeah. Um, so the thing about Fauci, and, and this is going to be. Very anti establishment, but Do it. he was an HIV guy. Yeah. And oh God, I, I hate saying this because it's so like nasty, but Fauci has always been an HIV cure bear. Mm-hmm. He's always said like HIV will never be cured, mm-hmm. not in our lifetime, this and that. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like this guy's ridden the HIV wave. Like yeah. he was one of the early guys in HIV. Yeah. And like this is too controversial to say almost, but like I don't think he's actually ostensibly done. Anything yeah. on HIV that's yeah. been useful? Well, he hasn't been practicing 30 years. for you know. He was 30 an early years. publisher, an early researcher in the space, and like he he's been like the masterful public health politician. Yeah. That has not actually earned any of his role. Have you
0: read that Robert Kennedy book? So, dude, you, you're getting really trippy here. Like I've read the-
1: every paper Fauci's written, like because yeah. I I follow. Yeah. I've been on a HIV cure hunt for a while too, and yeah. I think CRISPR will get us there, but. Like he's been a CRISPR bear yeah. and a cure bear in general, yeah. and and I sit and read his pre-COVID stuff where he was like, yeah, no, HIV is going nowhere. Like, yeah. we're just gonna have to live with it. And I'm just like, just I just want to strangle a guy because it's like right. the opposite of what an entrepreneur and the, like an innovator and somebody who's like bullish well, about. Do, do you are you thinks. are you familiar with the name Peter Duesberg? For people who don't understand your your argument, I mean, in a in a in a paraphrasing sort of way, is mm. that it, it, these it's. It's illicit drug use. It's like
0: uh, amyl nitrate and crystal yeah. meth. Mm-hmm. And that is what's destroying the immune
1: systems of these people. It's and then HIV shows up because their immune system is diminished. Is that a fair assessment of it?
0: You diminished or not, it is just a chance. It's like with all mycopes. You know, you can catch it or not. If you contact or get in contact, intimate contact, whatever contact with lots of people, you pick up what's available on the market. He says that basically it was AZT and poppers that were, HIV would sort of be like recessive in the the body, and then you'd have AZT and poppers, uh, specifically among certain communities that would tip the HIV over the edge into AIDS. And he was sort of systematically uh,
1: marginalized by people like Fauci. One of these things that's also sort of controversial is that I do think we're within striking distance of a final Treatment for HIV. And there's sort of everywhere I go, I get questions about, like, you know, do you think there's a suppression to, to yeah. keep profits going? And, and it, it's the best, like, anti conspiracy theory ever because uh-huh. there's, you know, 20 or 30 big drug companies, and each one of them, there's only two that make HIV drugs anymore. Yep. So the other 28 would love to eat the lunch of yep. those other two. There's yep. no, like, pact between us yep. to, you know, stop each other. And I think that there's a little inertia there. There's too much inertia. But I do think an HIV. Cure would be one of the best-selling drugs ever, and For sure. probably not far away. Um, Do you know that there's a, there's an HIV gene splice in COVID? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, does the, that not freak you out? Viruses. Uh, we were talking about earlier how these viruses have evolved, uh, and they have different motifs that you see in, in different, yeah. um, you know, different. Uh, what if what viruses? if that's
0: the immune, immunosuppressant part of it's HIV, part of it. and it's then part a, of it. but then everybody's walking around immunosuppressed in five to ten years because they got COVID. Yeah,
1: they they, they they sort of uh, riff off each other in some ways. Like you know, it's a very funny thing how like you'll have a different family of viruses evolve the same kind of motifs as, mm-hmm. and they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, they'll evolve them through selective pressure yeah. or like interactions with our immune system. And yeah. there's, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we have to get over the fact that we have to be symbiotic, symbiotic with nature in many ways. Yeah, like there's a lot of focus and attention on on very fine details, like microbiome stuff Yeah, uh, is another good example. Yeah, I mean, we, we have no idea how it works. Yeah, we don't. And we have to live with trillions of these organisms. And I think it's... it's uh, uh, yeah,
0: there's a lot going on in here. I, I, I think, and this is maybe somewhat heretical, but I don't think it should be. I think the viruses and pathogens are often mirrors for your own yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, fundamental right. health.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that.
0: And, and, it, and it exposes weaknesses that you often already had, but that if you are... Like, I look at the differential between people who, like died during COVID or, or, you know, died of COVID uh, or, or experienced really serious kind of long COVID and then people who didn't. And there are definitely edge cases where this is wrong, but the big differentiator is, was
1: the person super healthy prior to getting COVID? Yeah, it's it's hard to know. Like, you know, it's even hard to, to have a sense of individuality when we think about how many, exactly how many organisms are, are part of us. Yeah. You know, uh, just in our GI tract alone, there's trillions. And, you know, uh, it's hard to know exactly kind of like, well, who are you? Like, I, I, I say this a lot with, um, I've had a lot of like differing, differing opinions of like um, the trans community, for example. Uh-huh. And this is something that um, I've slowly kind of changed my mind about over yeah. time. Like people in the right wing, especially the alt-right or whatever community would always like, sort of jab out this whole like, there's only two genders, you know, this right. and that. And I, I started to think about it as a scientist or moonlighting scientist and I said, that's not true. It's actually demonstrably false. The people with Kleinfelter and Turner, for example, who have um, uh, X, Y, Y, or X, yeah. X, Y. Yeah. What gender is that? You know, yeah. I mean, you're yeah. automatically kind of in this yeah. different category. Right. And if you think about mosaicism, where, you know, you might actually be, uh, some of your cells could be a certain percentage. Yeah. could be, you know, you, you could have uh, your mother's cells, actually, mm-hmm. that stick, stuck around during pregnancy and actually became germ cells or, or stem cells and and differentiated. You could be three 3%, 4% mosaic or woman Mm -hmm. um you know or ambiguous um and that is actually fairly common uh sort of you know finding and and again now that you put in other species what what are you exactly i think that's probably more ambiguous than we give it credit for now again i'm not certain that you know i think there's other parts of the whole trans story that are a little strange and i don't like but you know to the extent that like someone has xxy or there's even one 48 XXYY, where it's like you know you're you're yeah. Totally, you know, yeah. your own thing. And that's great, you know. Uh, but, you know, and there's some of them are phenotypes. Like Kleinfelter is a very specific phenotype. Yeah. And a lot of those patients end up, um, it's hard to say patients, but a lot of those people end up sort of wanting a definitive gender and sort of they, they choose do they have gender at dysphoria often. at higher rates than i i'm not i'm not a student of the this, of this space but i believe that that they do um interesting but it's it's a really fascinating case where you can immediately dispel the whole two gender thing of like sure what about you yeah you know, yeah yeah there's yeah. actually hundreds of thousands of people like that's that. that's fascinating and they tend to just again at birth sort of steer the patient yeah steer the person into that direction of saying you're you're a woman let's leave it at that and you know right the parents will never tell the person and they'll just be like you know, and you'll sort of see people who are fairly ambiguous and you'll be like, I wonder, you know? Yeah. You know, maybe that's... Kleinfelter. Yeah.
0: Well, who do you hang out with? Who are your, do you have best friends?
1: It's weird. Um, I do. Um, but I, I I think that, like, just a solitary life is is probably better for me. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I think that it's it's hard to relate to people. It's hard to sort of, like, find somebody to 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 be with because I feel like a guilt of like wanting to build things and and make things and again people who don't know me don't don't know necessarily know a lot about me but I I spend a lot of time creating different pieces of software different you know molecules or whatever and companies um, and like I feel like I'd be taking away from that if I spent a lot of time with like an SO or You know something like that wasn't
0: there there was like a journalist what's her name christy yeah that like covered you and then fell in love with you in the process of covering you it reminded me of the that movie adaptation yeah you know i think it's like john laroche this character right and uh meryl streep falls in love with john laroche while he's coming he's kind of this like really eccentric interesting kind of like orchid hunter (laughs) and you're in this case the orchid hunter yeah no i think that's (laughs) fair christy falls in love with you hey look i told you i'd find the jewel of the
1: The I mean, I think it was more unilateral than portrayed, um, but, Got it. you know, unrequited. I, I, I mean, listen, I, I, I engaged with her, you know, uh, but I think it was, it was. Have you ever been in love? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the your problem, voice went up when he said <laughs> <it. laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> the problem with love is I think love is sort of a fictitious concept. I mean, I think it's interesting. Uh, and it's a suitcase word, as Minsky used to say, right? It's yeah. you can pack a lot of things into that yeah. word. And I think that for a lot of people, love is that first naive, I don't know, jejun feeling of like just like it feels amazing because you, you, you're doing it for the first time. Yeah. Then you get jaded, right? I mean, I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. start to get jaded and start to get like any married, look at any married couple, right? I mean, <laughs> there's
0: There that, are a few exceptions to that are- and I hold out hope because of those exceptions, but it feels like the, the large majority of romantic <laughs> relationships are just unhealthy. Right. Or, at least in my empirical.
1: They seem of, to be like toxic outlets for like different. Just codependent code bullshit. Yeah.
0: And it's like they've, they've they, there's some checklist. That's why it, I like
1: want to experiment. And I think I like what Elon's doing. And that's why this spreadsheet is um sort of experimental. Your, your CRM of. We'll have other, uh, other experiments that people don't know about. Like, <laughs> like what? Um, I have this group of, of women uh, that are, I'm very friendly with. And like, I don't know if we want to call it a club or a, Harem or a cult or something, but like, and I think Musk does this, and and other people do this, but they don't talk about it. Like, ultimately, like, I, I don't think polyamory is such a bad thing, and I don't think that, you know, somebody can't have like five families or ten families. I've never, I don't have any families, so yeah. at the moment. But like,
0: I but think you have like
1: a, a group of women that are all kind we're of. We're all kind of okay with, you know, wow, you know, being being with each other. And they're
0: and they're cool with you.
1: Yeah. And they know of each other or it's we just all like in a one ru- chat room together. Wow. Yeah. So I had it in jail and uh we we kept i that's what I we used my cell phone mostly for in jail instead of what the government thinks I was running my company or something. It was trying to
0: It was just running trying your, to run this your, chat room. Your, your, <laughs> your chat
1: room, your your polyamorous group. Well, you know, and again I don't like the word polyamorous either because it's sort of like it has other weird implications. Um but anyway, like I think that um the nuclear family and, like, these types of relationships are, are if not broken, they're starting to you break down. You think they're obsolete? And they may be obsolete. Man,
0: I don't know. I go back and forth. I think they're pretty important. I think but. they're really important for children. Yeah. But so you wouldn't
1: want to have kids? No, I think, I think you can probably have kids and, and do it effectively without mom, dad, and, you know, two and a half kids in a backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, you ultimately need love. You need nurturing. You need all those things for mm-hmm. children to grow, um, or they won't, and they'll... Like every single person I met in prison had a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Almost every person had either a single parent, yeah. no parents, yeah. or abuse, abuse in the household. So, and like, you get backups in polyamory. You, you need to find people that are so serene and so, you know, like, self confident uh, and, like, don't have any of the bullshit psychological uh-huh. baggage because i don't
0: buy it man it's hard I'm, as, it's hard to as find. much as i think the nuclear kind of one-to-one relationship thing like usually doesn't work in many cases i, I think the polyamory thing has never worked I've, I've i have no friends who've ever tried or nobody i know of even that's ever tried that where it doesn't end up
1: with you're right there's one main partner and the main partner gets jealous well that's why i'm, I'm hesitant to have children and i think elon's sort of gone gung ho in the other direction right uh-huh. um to some extent, I think that that some of these problems solve themselves. I mean, yeah. Like, if you try to solve for the perfect kid being in mean, the perfect upbringing, you're yeah. going to fail. Like, yeah. Ultimately, like, and you see that in Silicon Valley a lot where yeah. like they're like, oh, I'm going to give them the best schools, and the best, and the kid still ends up being a fuck up. And it's sort of like, totally. what can you do? You know, yeah. and then you, you have kids that come out of broken homes and sometimes do
0: really well. So there's some sort of like essential soul to like it's part environment. And then sometimes you just meet people from like horrible background. And you're just like, you're amazing. And then you meet people from
1: great backgrounds, and it's like, what's what the hell is going on here? Yeah, there's no rhyme so, or reason, I don't really think. And so I think that, you know, as long as everybody's happy, I think that's that's what's important. And again, I think, again, I'm still sort of trying to find my own way and, and yeah. figure out what makes sense. I could very well get into a very normal, you know, nuclear family, married for forty years yeah. type of thing. But again, every everyone I know that's married is like, yeah, you yeah. know, you know, this isn't great. Do you do you think you're on the spectrum? <sighs> I don't think so. Um, I think that, like, I've studied autism a lot because yeah. we were making a drug for autism. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think it's unfortunately used um, you know, way too much. You know, I don't think that... Um, it feels like people want to be on the spectrum. Yeah, now it's crazy, but, right? Any of the show on Netflix, Love on the
0: Spectrum, everybody loves it. It's it,
1: terrible because the average person with, with true clinical autism has an IQ of around 80. They've never been employed. They have um, didn't finish school. They need full-time care. They're close to it. And uh, that's, uh, there's some argument in the community about this. That, that to me, is a syndromic illness. Um, but there are a
0: lot of people on the spectrum with Asperger's who get hyper-focused on particular
1: things and are kind of brilliant in those areas. I think, th- I think areas. they're misdiagnosed. So, so I what really do you think do. those people are? I think they are typically OCD. So to be truly autistic, okay. you have to have three specific different sort of symptomological problems. Uh, and they're a spectrum of problems. Yeah. So people often like get this wrong and they're like, well, the spectrum is like, spectrum sounds like a big open word that I can, you know, that can include, is inclusive.
0: No, it's a gradient. It's a continuum. It's not like a, you're here and you're here, you're on the spectrum. Like it's a, it's a you're on your way and you would have to have one of those autism markers or something to you, be on the spectrum. To me,
1: you have to have, you, you can only be autistic if you have all three of those. So you have to have aberrant behaviors, okay. Which a lot of people with autism don't have. So-called autism don't have. Sure. You know, you have to have some, st- like. So that's usually some stereotypical behavior.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, like hand flapping is a very common one. Mm-hmm. That's almost like pathognomonic for autism. If you if you do this sort of like mm. constant, you know, like yeah, hand yeah, flapping yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. and it's like yeah. most people who like think it's cool to be like, yeah, I'm you know a little autistic, like, right. Like I want to smack people like that because I'm like you don't know what clinical autism really sure. looks like. It's, yeah. a, it's a terrible... So, aberrant behavior, weird uh, movement. What's, uh, so, not weird, but, so but these sorts of The movements. second one is almost always uniform, is a deep communications deficit. Okay. So, like, a very, very... Either mutic, mutism, like somebody who just doesn't speak at all, or speaks in one word, or things like that. So, just here, I mean, we've d- excluded diagnosis for, autism, for the world of autism. So, you would say Rain Man wasn't autistic? He was pretty autistic, because he had... Uh, Huge problems
0: communicating. He could communicate. He wasn't a great comedian, but he was also brilliant.
1: You mean the real Rain Man or the fictional Rain Man? Well, there's, yeah, Kim Peake, Kim and Peake in, real li- yeah. in real life. And Dustin then, Hoffman. But yeah. both, both. So Dustin Hoffman stammered yeah. and couldn't really get out what his thoughts were yeah. and things like that. And the third one is sort of this emotional disconnection and social disconnection. Yeah. And so I think people sort of Misidentify the. Third I think one. of it as emotional
0: disconnection and, and social disconnection. I think about the, the those as the. Yeah, markers. that third
1: one is the major uh-huh. one people think about. The other two
0: are required. Yeah, for yeah. autism. Yeah, you don't feel you know super disconnected. Do you, what, it, what so when people call you a sociopath? What do you say? to Well, that? I'd say
1: that like extreme rationalism is yeah. often like confused for, for quote unquote socio- sociopathy. Um, yeah, interesting. Like, medicine is the most important thing to in. To me, health is the most important thing to to humanity. Healthcare's percentage of GDP has grown metronomically since 1960. That's not because there's some bad actor or sociopath that's raising prices of healthcare. It's because demand (laughs) for healthcare is insatiable. In fact, if you think of any good, the only good that has infinite sort of marginal utility Mm -hmm. is healthcare. You will never say no to better healthcare. Sure. We can
0: always sort of, you can solve other issues. Healthcare is this indelibly...
1: A you bigger know, house doesn't, get you know, ultimately a bigger house actually has reverse utility at some sure. point. If you've ever been in some million, zillionaire mansion, you're, at some point it's like, get oh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, other things have negative marginal utility. I mm-hmm. mean, some food, some, mm-hmm. you know, like even the richest people, I mean, eat McDonald's and things like that. Mm-hmm. so like ultimately healthcare, nobody says, nah, I don't want, you know, uh, my asthma cured. Like every single person wants Cheers. the best health. I
0: have disagreements with you and maybe issues with a couple of things, but like, it's crazy how much misinfo is, is, is out about. That's you. the nature of this world, right? It's so weird, and it's, and
1: again, the best. But part, you
0: you do you play into it. You like you are kind of bit. you're down to be
1: misunderstood. Yeah, and, and, and part of it is I think you said in one of your recent videos I was watching um, that inevitably you, you, you'll if you get beat up enough if you stop caring. Yeah. And so like I'm in this position where I'm like I'm wealthy. I'm I'm intelligent, I can build companies, I have a skill set, what do I care what some like random Brooklyn journalist says about me? Sure. Like, you know, the Daily Dot was fun, like she was like, oh, I've got this expose, I'm like, buy my OnlyFans pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. what
0: what was it again? I
1: I said that I'd give them a quote if they bought one of my OnlyFans foot fetish pictures. I took a, I I have an OnlyFans and it's very tongue in cheek. It's got two photos. Uh, one is of a stock chart, of me getting pounded by the stock chart. Because <laughs> I like, short the stock and it, it didn't go well. And uh, So on Wall Street, guys use that word, pounded, and it's very like, sort of. Uh, so is it you like horizontal
0: with like a stock chart?
1: It, it's it's a bad joke, but you know, it's it's <laughs> okay. it's uh, for whatever reason, every day on Wall Street for the last 20 years of my life, it was, including four of them, it was, oh, I'm, po- I'm pounding this short. It's like very a heteroerotic, uh, homoerotic, uh, you know sort of uh so that's one concept. and then what's the, the next one is i was just with a i was on a I was with a friend of mine and uh i was like what should i do for this only fan she's like take it take a foot pick people love foot picks there's foot fetish like insanity <laughs> and uh so i took a photo of my my foot with the feet are so weird and ugly right um but with the ankle monitor? with the ankle monitor i was like this exclusive hot pick like, how many, be, been how on many OnlyFans? people bought it how much have like, you made? three you know but Come on, guys! Oh, Go out there and buy that foot pic. OnlyFans is funny because yeah. I think OnlyFans is actually a literary site. Because yeah. if you look at OnlyFans, none of the, you can't see any of the pictures. Yeah. they're all behind this little lock at the dollar sign. Yeah. So these chicks who are like, probably have not like written creatively in most of their life, have to write, like this. Like they're trying to sell you a photo for sixty-five dollars, and they keep, they're telling you what's in the photo, but they're not showing it to you. Right. So they're like, check out this hot pic where my bikini, tiny bikini, is just. Right dropping and it's very like you're like oh yeah this is interesting right, right. like so i yeah, wrote really like am. yeah and it's it's really a site about writing more than it is a site about photos
0: that's interesting um, it's, a, it's
1: a seduction site you have to write the yeah. something some caption that's so good yeah that somebody's willing to part you know, for 50 bucks or yeah. whatever. It's really expensive yeah. uh, for one photo. Um, and some of these women make millions of dollars. So you can hire professional writers yeah. to sort of like entice, you know, and I'm one of the only guys on OnlyFans anyway. So, you know, anyway, I told the it's Daily like Beast. It's like you and like Tyga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told the Daily Beast that I'd, I'd give them a quote if they bought and I offered them a uh, discount code.
0: Yeah, it seems like a good deal. It was a was really good deal, but they messed up. Martin, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. Thank you very much.